0: Hello everyone. Thanks for tuning in. You are listening to Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, The UK Geek, science fiction, fantasy and horror podcast, episode 475, recorded on Monday the 23rd of January, 2023, at 23.02.13. You'll have to bear with me tonight as I get my bearings. This show was supposed to be recorded yesterday. But I was feeling very out of sorts, disjointed. And the show would have sounded even more strange and strained had I recorded it yesterday. So what I did is go to bed. And it's now a day later. Let's talk about a few pre-show items in our revisit journal. I said in pod 471 and also in pod 473 that I would try and finish this revisit because it has been going on for years and years. Which isn't surprising because I am... Revisiting classic Doctor Who in chronological order. So far, I'm off to a fairly bad start. Schedules have gone up the spout. So much for... (laughs) Well, I didn't make any resolutions about that, so at least I'm not guilty of saying that. And now, today, Monday, I'm taping the wrong show on the wrong day. So, yeah, everything's all over the place. I've also had a cold. I still have a bit of a very, very minor cold. I'm a bit more breathy and snuffly than normal. And also, my audio equipment, as I have been complaining about, is also sick. So, this episode, again, not ideally, is not taped on my PC. But is recorded on a Sony PCM M10 recorder. I have also swapped from the SM7V back to Rudolph, my trusty short SM58, and to hopefully have less of a noise floor, I'm boosting it with a Triton Audio Fathead which I've had in my box for years and years now. I hardly ever use it. And that is being phantom powered by a TC Helicon Ditto mic looper, which I have on my shelf of guitar pedals. And again, don't use it that much, which is a bit of a crime because it's a great pedal. Why have I changed mics again? (laughs) Maybe it's because I'm completely insane. Okay, the more reasonable explanation is that I am a baritone with a (laughs) very, very limited range. And I sound a little muddy on the SM7B, and also a little lispy. It seems to pick up a lot of the higher frequencies. Well, it really does. It's got a higher top range than the SM58, so that's not surprising. When you add my... ...pathetic, croaky, lesbian, messy vocals... ...though it's hardly much of a deal-breaker which of those two mics I use... ...put it down to a whim. I mean, I've got this equipment, I might as well use it. Okay, on to the next thing, which isn't really relevant to Doctor Who but it's relevant to the time frame in which I'm writing my revisit journal and also my frame of mind. While listening to a podcast very recently, I discovered that Terry Hall of the Specials died in December and was shortly thereafter also reminded from a tweet that René Auberjonois The actor us geeks know most from Deep Space Nine, but I also know him as a very bird-like professor in Robert Altman's Brewster MacLeod. And also he was one of the governor's advisors in Benson. He died all the way back in 2019. I'm sure I heard about that on the news at the time, Not sure if I did a little R.I.P. R.I.P. to both those chaps. I did listen to a bit of the specials after finding that out. Specials, British Two-Tone? I've probably got something in a YouTube playlist. Moving back to yesterday. Possibly because I was so tired that they did turn weird. The very often-mentioned, possibly, hopefully, fictional nutter in the attic with the long fingernails has desisted. Instead, for weeks, I have been stalked by the smell of heavy incense. Like the effluvia that I presume Christopher Lee's evil priest would admit in hammers to the devil a daughter do you remember that movie oh man it is a long time since i've seen that christopher lee does make a good evil priest and that's obviously the template that was used in old who when robert delgado played a satanic vicar in that story that i can't quite recall and yes, I am guilty of hissing pause at this precise instance to look that up. Couldn't find anything, and now I can't be bothered. Besides being haunted, after I finished typing the bulk of these notes yesterday, I was exhausted. So to wind down, I watched some New Who. Yes, a Doctor Who podcaster watching Doctor Who bit on the nose, but so what. I was re-watching School Reunion. That, if you can remember, is the one in which Sarah Jane Smith and K9 Mark III return, and Mickey realises he is the 10th Doctor's equivalent of the Tin Dog. I found it to be the perfect soporific. I'm not being derogatory, I mean it relaxed me, and in only a few minutes after starting to watch this, I was relaxed enough to go to bed. I watched The Remainder in the morning, this morning, and now we are here and I am talking to you. Yesterday was Chinese New Year, Happy Lunar New Year, and welcome to the Year of the Rabbit actually water hair, but rabbit hair. I found a little information about what to expect in this coming year from chinahighlights.com. Quote, the year of the rabbit is a symbol of longevity, peace, and prosperity in Chinese culture. 2023 is predicted to be a year of hope. Unquote. I certainly hope so. That's the waffle done with. Let's do the show. Today, we are talking about the 1982 Doctor Who story for To Doomsday. As usual, let's start off with some notes, and I should also endeavour to not move around too much. Every time I move around, my feet, bones, crack... The fifth Doctor is played by Peter Davison. His companions are Adric, played by Matthew Waterhouse. Nissa, played by Sarah Sutton. And Tegan, played by Janet Fielding. As for notable cast, the character Monarch is played by Stratford Johns. Stratford Johns played D.I. Charlie Barlow in Zed Cars, though I have absolutely no memory of that character on that show, and I do remember watching Zed Cars. The extremely excellent Burt Kwok, Kato in the Pink Panther films, and a heroic convict in The Inn of the Sixth Happiness is a character called Lin Futu, the character, On is the prolific Philip Locke, famous as a henchman in the James Bond film Thunderball. Oh my god, I had to hit pause again because my eyesight's going all over the place. I had to adjust my monitor. Where were we? The director was John Black, who also directed The Keeper of Trakan, the writer was Terence Dudley, who also wrote Black Orchid and The King's Demons, and the corresponding Target book novelizations. He was also the scriptwriter for the extremely short lived spin off K9 and Company. The producer was John Nathan Turner. Regarding locations, this was a wholly studio filmed story at BBC Television Centre, Shepherd's Bush in 1981. Broadcast for To Doomsday was story 117, serial 2 of season 19, following Valva, which we covered in pod 473. It consisted of four around 25-minute Episodes and was first broadcast from the 18th to the 26th of January 1982. In other media, the Target novelization was written by Terence Dix in 1983. The story was available on VHS in 2001, DVD in 2008. Doctor Who DVD Files, issue 105 in 2013, and the collection, season 19, Blu-ray, in 2018. Whew, that is a lot of stuff. And what was going on on the 18th of January 1982? That is what I'm about to tell you in the Zeitgeist section, Number one in the UK was The Land of Make-Believe by Bucks Fizz. That isn't the song in which Cheryl and Jay rip off their skirts. That was the earlier one that made them famous. Making Your Mind Up? Yeah, I think it was Making Your Mind Up. Yes, no skirt ripping did occur. At least as far as I can remember. Let's roll an audio clip, and then I'll tell you what happens, and then I'll tell you what I thought, and some trivia, if there is any. Rolling clip in three, two, one. Patient! After all I've been through since I came through that door, my aunt reduced us so long, you must be joking. I have eliminated the concept of opposition. No! One, two, three, clip unrolled, let me tell you what happens. The TARDIS arrives on a massive spaceship, instead of Heathrow Terminal 3. Tegan is not happy. On the ship, they meet three green, warty, toad-like, but otherwise humanoid aliens. And those consist of a character called Monarch, and his two advisors, the female Enlightenment and the male Persuasion. They are Ivankans on their way to Earth. Enlightenment and Persuasion later appear as human, after having taken on the forms of Tegan's sketches of Earth fashion that Tegan drew when Enlightenment showed an interest at how contemporary people looked on Earth. On the ship, four human cultures are introduced. They are represented by their leaders. Bigon, a philosopher from ancient Greece. Velagra, a princess of the Maya. Linfutu of China, and Australian Aborigine, Kukuchi. They are the underclass on that ship. They are the slaves of the Abunkans. We find out that the Abunkans make periodic visits to Earth each time they arrive at their destination faster, as... Their slaves' research into faster-than-light travel becomes more advanced. This journey, however, is their last. They carry 3 billion of their surviving population after their homeworld was destroyed and are intent on conquest. Bigon, or Bygone, I can't remember how they pronounce that name, reveals himself to be an android, his brain stored on a circuit board in his chest. In fact, all aboard the ship are androids, having left the flesh time, as the Abunkans call it, behind, under the insane dictatorship of Monarch. Monarch believes himself to be God, and is expecting to meet himself at the point of creation when he perfects FTL. Nyssa is almost converted into an android. Edric temporarily sides with Monarch until the Doctor persuades him to do otherwise. And it is revealed that Monarch wrecked his own world by mining it for silicon and carbon, for the conversion of his people to electronic form, and wishes to do the same to Earth. Vigon and the other android-humanoid leaders rebel. The Doctor and Adric kill Enlightenment and Persuasion, and the Doctor also poisons Monarch's remaining flesh, shrinking him down to the size of a toy. Victorious... The androids decide to look for a new home, rather than take the Doctor up on his offer to return them to Earth. And the last thing we see on board the TARDIS is Nyssa collapsing. That is what happens, let me tell you what I thought. There's this long, lingering, establishing shot with a camera over the length of the large, dark spaceship. That precedes another shot showing us the glowing lights of equipment in the spaceship's interior. The whole sequence is orchestrated to ethereal music reminding me of the opening scene to Alien. Similar shots are, of course, a trope in space science fiction. We've seen it a million times before on many other movies and TV shows. Andrick continues to be an obnoxious, antisocial dickhead, needling Tegan first with a sexist bullshit remark, and then Nyssa with his ageist bullshit. He is a troll. He would be one of those annoying shit posters on Twitter or Reddit if he was with us in our contemporary society. All this is to say that I am growing to despise Adric. Again, as I said a few times before, this is an attitude that I have on revisiting the show rather than the attitude I had when I was younger. I honestly can't remember him annoying me that much the first time around, but he is certainly annoying me now. And none of this has helped by Adric turning traitor. I thought that when he was doing that, when he and Nyssa were talking to Monarch, and it appeared that he was taking Monarch's side, it was a bluff... And then it turned out not to be a bluff at all. Adric was actually serious. It annoyed me enough that I was absolutely delighted when the smart ass had to have Nissa explain photosynthesis. There's also another instance of Adric getting his comeuppance a bit later. Seeing the Doctor waft into the void with almost nothing to protect him from the vacuum of space except a breathing helmet, and his Time Lord constitution is a chilling, iconic, and memorable moment. Using science, the physics of reaction mass, to propel himself by chucking a cricket ball is pure Time Lord cleverness, or something that any science fiction nerd like us would know to do or would hope they would be able to think up something that fast in the similar circumstance of being stranded helpless in space with no apparent means of propulsion. When Enlightenment exclaims, safety pin punk earrings on Earth are barbaric, the Doctor agrees. Ah, so the Doctor disapproves of punks? Or perhaps that's... The writer, Terence Dudley. Hegleset, this is 1982. Okay, it's pretty early, but it's not 1977. That bit of dialogue (laughs) made me think that Terence Dudley was a bit of an old fogey. There is a scene just before the Doctor floats off into space to try and get into the TARDIS when they're in that... Airlock room, the Doctor and Adric murder two of the aliens in cold blood. The Doctor kills Persuasion and Adric kills Enlightenment in the same way. I think it is entirely unnecessary. What happens is the two separately get into scraps with the two aliens. They manage to disconnect the alien's brain boards. At that point, the aliens are paralysed and helpless. But instead of ending the fight there, both the Doctor and Adric then throw those circuit boards into space where they freeze and are destroyed. And the violence doesn't end there either. At the end, the Doctor shrinks Monarch in a ruthless, master-like move, while... The Doctor airs on the side of non-violence. History repeatedly shows us that he is not a pacifist. Oh, you should be so glad that I edit this podcast so heavily. Otherwise, you would be hearing clicks and pops from me, my bones, my keyboard, and quite a lot of swearing. Ah okay. Let's talk about this doctor, this new incarnation played by Peter Davison. Controversy time I do not like this doctor. I think he's smug and his humour is very obvious. We'll also get into that in a bit. I miss Tom Baker's wit. And, shocker, I'm actually looking forward to the psychopathic craziness of Colin Baker. That's how much I don't like this Doctor. There is a point in the dialogue when Enlightenment calls a weak joke that the Doctor attempts, fatuous. I'd have to agree with that assessment. Let's move on to someone I quite like, and that's Tegan, and Tegan has skills. She is continuing to prove her worth, even though she is a normal person surrounded by geniuses. For example, she shows off her artistic ability when she draws sketches of Earth fashions, and they're really nice sketches although the forms taken on by Enlightenment and Persuasion using those sketches makes them look like they work at a holiday camp. So, nice artistic work on the part of Tegan, but then the costumes that are designed for those two aliens are very Butlins. We also find out that Tegan is able to speak an Australian Aboriginal dialect, which impresses the Doctor. Enough for him to shut up. Remember that I said I'd get back to Adric? There is a scene in which Adric, who has decided to take the side of Monarch, tries to block Tegan. He tries to bar her way and threatens violence if she doesn't do what she's told. Tegan completely ignores him, barges past Adric, who falls over and whacks his head. (laughs) In other words, Tegan beats Adric up. Tegan is a great character. Even some of her flaws are endearing. The biggest one of those is that, with all of space and time at her disposal, I'm sure the Doctor would quite like to have her as a companion, She displays this single-mindedness to return to her mundane life. Uh, I find that hilarious. I do wonder if she'll ever get back to Terminal 3. Let's talk about the creature design of the three aliens. I enjoyed the warty, blobby, toady creature designs of these green humanoid aliens. Right down to the scaly feet. I can't remember if all three of them had scaly feet on camera, but I do remember seeing Monarch's reptile-like feet. It was an unnecessary extravagance for filming that scene, but I appreciated it nonetheless. Enlightenment, the female alien advisor of Monarch was the beautiful annie lambert but (laughs) this is a cast that includes sarah sutton and janet fielding so the looks were shared pretty much equally i did read a bit into annie lambert and apparently she was also in a lot of other things and she worked at vogue for a while though not as a model i believe At the beginning of this story, when our team enter the spaceship, they encounter this black floating ball surveillance device that the doctor calls a monopticon. When I saw that, I was expecting some phantasm-style medis from it, and that didn't happen, which was a bit of a disappointment. The Doctor does blind it by covering its camera with his hat, but that's as far as the action goes. Yeah, no balls with blades chasing you and trying to stab you in the face. Let's talk about Bigon, the ancient Greek philosopher, played by Philip Locke. I liked that character. He was intelligent and friendly... I just like the character. He also has this great robotic reveal moment. uh, Especially when he takes off his face mask and you see all the electronics underneath. That is very Westworld, although this isn't the first time we've seen that in Doctor Who. Oh god, I just can't remember back to when we saw that last... But I think I've definitely seen that before on the classic show. Another big reveal is the master plan. There's nothing quite like a maniac flinging the curtain wide open. We find out that Monarch's plan is the robotization of populations. His population the destruction of his own planet, then when that's done, invasion and conquest of Earth and its similar destruction, and on top of all that, Monarch believes he's God. Does that remind you of anyone? Technology and an insane ego? No, we're not talking about Elon Musk. We're just talking about this Vogon lookalike Monarch. You'd have to be quite mad to give yourself a name like that. Yes, Monarch is completely potty. There's quite a lot of creepiness in this story. The way that the aliens call their past as corporeal, organic life forms the flesh time. That sounds like something Clive Barker would have come up with. Apart from Bert Kwok, none of the actors playing the lead human captives are playing their actual ethnicities. Though I can understand sourcing those actors, an actor who's a Mayan and an actor who's an Australian Aboriginal, might not have been that easy. At least we can say that the portrayals of those lead humanoid androids are dignified and not played for laughs. Well, not entirely played for laughs except in the script. The Doctor jokingly, purposefully mistakes Lin Futu's name as a medical condition. I've got to tell you, for To Doomsday, that script has not aged well. I haven't been that kind to the new Doctor, but before I finish completely filleting him, let me also draw attention, perhaps somewhat pettily, to his appallingly boring beige-brown striped trousers. Yes, it's a old cricket outfit... But it is a really, really nothing outfit. After Tom Baker, it's uh, a sad fallback to the mundane. The title for To Doomsday isn't a title that engenders urgency when we find out that it is the days Earth has left before the insane monarch arrives. Although the story does have its moments, for example, the shocking reveal of the flesh replaced by robotics, I was left cold as the space in which this enormous ship hung. Adric's betrayal and the lacklustre and unwitty new Doctor irritated me, this should have been more entertaining. It had all the ingredients. i just not getting on with the new Doctor and Adric. In fact, I've commented on how my view of the different Doctors has changed since I was a child. This episode brought those feelings right to the fore. Although the revisit has not finished, not by a long shot... Let's do a straw poll right now and rank from best to worst classic doctors. Speaking as a young tassel-haired Roy, yes, there was a time when my hair was tasseled. This is my list of best to worst doctors. Peter Davison, John Pertwee, Tom Baker, Sylvester McCoy, and Colin Baker. The reason for The Missing Doctors, William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton, is that we didn't have a television until John Pertwee. The adult and more wizardly Roy, as I stand before you today, would have a very different list. Sorry, I had to Hit pause again there, because my list wasn't quite right, but here goes. From best to worst, as a grown-up, John Pertwee and Tom Baker at joint first place, Sylvester McCoy, Patrick Troughton, William Hartnell, Colin Baker, and Peter Davison. The incredible difference between those two lists just shows you how that hoary old adage about people not changing is fundamentally flawed, which should fill us all with a little hope. You can change for the better. Though, regarding Peter Davidson, I am so sorry, Peter. (laughs) Oh... And those are my thoughts on the 1982 Doctor Who story, 4 to Doomsday. Let's move on to trivia. I've only got one piece of trivia today. That is a quote from IMDb. (laughs) An unattributed quote from IMDb. Quote, Matthew Waterhouse got off to a bad start with Peter Davison, after he took it upon himself to point out mistakes he felt the new star was making. <laughs> so, a youthful Matthew Waterhouse may have had a little bit of Adric in him. Oh, okay. And that is it. We have come to the end. Oh. That seemed to take a long time. It did take a long time. There were so many show notes. I don't know what I'm doing with these show notes. I don't know why. They're just getting longer and longer and longer. I don't think anyone reads them. If you want to read them, go ahead. They're formatted like a blog post. If you're really into the fine nitty gritty and want to go over ground that you may have missed while you were listening to this, be my guest. But man, it is taking a lot out of me. Which brings us on to our after-show topic, and that will take about a minute. (laughs) And that's just to remind you that it is hard work making these shows. It's not cheap either to make audio that doesn't suck, as you heard at the top of the show, with my constant fiddling and faffing around until I get satisfactory audio. And there are hosting fees as well. So please support the show with a small tip. A single payment via Ko-Fi is only £4. It is probably less than a coffee and one trillionth an annual energy bill in the UK now. (laughs) If you feel that you can't afford that no problem. There are, of course, zero-expense ways that you can help. Just write a nice review. It costs nothing, and it helps me out. And also tell people about this podcast. The other thing I wanted to remind people of is that podcasts thrive on interaction, so please get in contact. I'd like to hear your comments, how I can improve the show, but mainly, really, your thoughts on the things that I review. Oh, my back is absolutely killing me now. In fact, everything's absolutely killing me now, so let's just finish the show. I make this show. My name is Roy Mathur. I'm a writer. Matur is M-A-T-H-U-R. I have a website at RoyMator.com. If you want to help, as I have repeatedly said, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen, recommend it to a friend or mortal enemy, (laughs) or click on the contact or support link on the website. Please don't let those words just flow over you Think deeply about doing any one of those things and trying to help the show. Thanks for tuning in. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, the UK Geek Science, Fiction, Fantasy and Horror Podcast, episode 475, recorded on Monday the 23rd of January 2023, but ending on Tuesday the 24th of January 2023. At 6 56. Thanks for listening, and bye, bye for now. Bye Oh my God, that was a long show.